Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Sports Travel Podcast, where we interview leaders in the sports event industry. This is Jason Gewertz, Vice President of the North Star Meetings Group Sports Division and the Executive Editor and Publisher of Sports Travel. And our guests on this special episode are the entire editorial team at Sports Travel, including Managing Editor Matt Traub and Associate Editor Justin Shaw, as we take a look back at the year 2022 in the sports events industry, reflect on stories and events that resonated with us, and look at trends and storylines we're watching in the year to come. But before we begin, this episode of the Sports Travel Podcast is being sponsored by the Teams Conference and Expo, the world's largest gathering of sports event organizers and the destinations and suppliers that serve the sports events industry. Teams 22 will be held at the Palm Beach Convention Center in the Palm Beaches of Florida, October 2nd through the 5th. This year's conference will once again feature the co-location of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee's SportsLink program and NGB Best Practices Seminar, as well as the annual symposium of the National Congress of State Games. For more details on everything we have planned at Teams this year, please visit teamsconference.com. And now, on to the conversation. This past year has been an eventful and historic one at Sports Travel as we celebrated the magazine's 25th anniversary since Tim Schneider founded the publication. During the past year, we promoted longtime senior editor Matt Traub to the position of managing editor and hired Justin Shaw, another sports journalism veteran, as our new associate editor. In this episode of the Sports Travel Podcast, Matt, Justin, and I take a look back at this past year from our key takeaways about the year to storylines that resonated with us to our favorite events that we saw in person. But we also take a look ahead at what trends and storylines we're watching in 2023 and the specific predictions we have for the industry and the sports world in the months ahead. So sit back and take in this discussion from the entire sports travel editorial team. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Matt Traub, Justin Shaw, welcome to the Sports Travel Podcast, even though Matt is a, a regular uh, contributor. But Justin Shaw, the debut of your presence on the Sports Travel Podcast. It's great to be with you guys. Great to see you. This is a very exciting, uh, very special episode of the Sports Travel Podcast. A fantastic idea that Matt had to get the editors of Sports Travel together to chat a bit about this past year. Take a look ahead, maybe make some predictions that we'll uh we'll be proud of or ashamed of at the end uh, for next year, but uh, happy to be joined by Matt and Justin. Uh, 2022, which is wrapping up as we're having this conversation, has been an eventful year, certainly for the sports event industry, a positive year, I would argue, for the industry. But also, uh, if I could say so before we begin this conversation, a positive year for us as well, both at Sports Travel and the Sports Division at North Star Meetings Group. Uh, Matt Traub, uh, you moved up to the position of managing editor this year. You've established yourself fully and firmly in the Salt Lake City community uh, as Salt Lake uh, hopefully uh, goes for its next Olympic Games. And of course, we brought on Justin Shaw as our associate editor, giving us a presence in Las Vegas, which has been terrific. Justin, it has been great having you on board. This represents the largest staff we've ever had at Sports Travel Magazine, which celebrated its 25th anniversary this year in 2022. So not only were we in a milestone year, but I would argue we are at a milestone moment at Sports Travel, thanks to the incredible work that the two of you have done uh, editorially over the past year. Plus, here at Sports Travel, we've had the highest viewership at sportstravelmagazine.com, including a couple days recently uh, during the World Cup that saw our, we broke our single day record again and again a couple of times just in the past couple of weeks. Our events that many of our audience knows us for, the Teams Conference and Expo, saw its largest attendance in Oklahoma City at Teams 22. 
We expanded into London with Teams Europe last June, and we continue to see the growth of our esports travel summit as well. So on the event side, it's been an incredible year. On the editorial side, it's been an incredible year. And we're going to take this moment to chat a bit about stories that resonated with us uh, this past year, kind of what we're watching for the year ahead. And as I said, maybe make a couple of predictions as well. So Matt, Justin, uh, I will uh, stop talking at this moment and uh, we'll start throwing it over to you guys as well. And, you know, Matt, you've outlined a, a pretty nice way for this discussion to go. So I think we'll we'll kind of stick to that. But uh, who knows what our answers will be, which will be part of the fun of this exercise. So let's start right off the top, Matt, Justin, with kind of our, our biggest takeaway from 2022. I've mentioned a number of things, but I'm sure you guys have other thoughts. I'll, I'll weigh in as well. But Matt, why don't we start with you uh, looking back the past year, biggest takeaway for you in the sports event industry? Yeah, I think uh, obviously there have been so many different events that have gone on both nationally and internationally throughout this season and throughout this year. But I think the biggest thing is uh, the college sports landscape and how it has just totally looked incredibly different compared to what it was a year ago. You've got realignment that happened this year with the Big Ten uh, taking away USC and UCLA from the Pac-12, which we never would have ever thought could possibly be uh, happening and just blowing up the entire idea of geographic conferences in collegiate sports once and for all. You've got name, image, and likeness that is just revolutionizing the collegiate sports landscape. And it really is touching all sport, all sections of the sports landscape because now you have co collegiate athletes in college basketball, you have athletes who, if they don't want to go pro, if they think their draft stock may not be what they want it to be, you can still make quarter of a million, three, three quarters of a million, million dollars to stay one more year in college and to keep you in, in, in that space. You also have for the Olympic sports, uh, I've talked to, I'm, we all have talked to people throughout the Olympic sports landscape this year and just how a track athlete or a gymnast through NIL can keep their, can, you know, make money that will allow them to stay in the sport. And I think that has been revolutionary for the non, for the quote unquote non-revenue Olympic sports. So where that goes in the coming years, we'll see. But I think that is the biggest thing is what you see, what you saw in college sports at the start of this year is not what you're seeing today. And even this past week with the new NCAA president being named. Yeah, I would agree. College landscape is uh, seeing incredible changes. Justin, what about you? Uh, this is kind of a wide open category and question, but biggest takeaway from the past year. Yeah, you know, as as we watched, um, you know, as we continue to watch the World Cup finish up right now, um, we had the, the Winter Olympics earlier. Uh, my biggest thing is I look forward to being able to go to all of these major, major sporting events that are going to be coming to uh, America in the next decade. We've all, we're always looking forward here and we're always doing things. And, and Matt wrote the 2026 World Cup story that's been um, so successful for us. You know, we, ha we have uh, the, the World Cup coming here in 2026. We have the Summer Olympics coming in 2028 to Los Angeles. We have, you know, the the world uh, or the Rugby World Cup coming um, in th 31 for the men and 33 for the women. We, we hopefully will have a Winter Olympics in maybe Salt Lake City in 2030. All of these major events are coming to America within years of each other. And these are things that are on my bucket list that I have never been to as a, as a sports fan. And so to be able to go to all of these things in the next decade or so without having to leave America is something that's extremely exciting for me, especially after watching the World Cup and the, the 
Summer Olympics last year and the Winter Olympics this year, and obviously with rugby and, and even cricket starting to, to make a presence in America. So America is is still growing. Um, you know, we're, I would think that we are the sports leader in the world with the NFL and the leagues we have, but we're still growing and we're still getting these events that uh, a lot of people like me have never been to before. And, and it's really going to help the industry explode even more, in my opinion, as we move forward uh, in the next decade. Yeah, I would agree. Excellent points, Justin. And the stuff that's coming here is pretty remarkable. I'll weigh in as well for this past year. To me, one of the uh, the biggest takeaway is just how quickly the industry has come back after two very difficult years at the start of the pandemic. We helped support some research from Sports ETA, the Industry Association, earlier this year that showed that uh, last year, 2021, uh, from an economic impact, uh, the sports event industry was almost entirely back to where it was at 2019 levels, just a little bit under. And I think when we see those numbers from this past year in 22 that we just had, uh, we're going to see that everything not only was back, but had exceeded things. Just, uh, you know, my takeaway is how normal everything looked compared to how it looked two years ago. We weren't seeing nearly the restrictions. And uh, while we know that there's still work left to go there and we're not entirely out of the the clear here, things look pretty normal to me this past year. And, you know, to me, that was the biggest takeaway of uh, of the past 12 months. Let's talk about a story or stories that resonated with you guys this past year. We have written a lot uh, in Sports Travel Magazine. You guys have uh, taken the brunt of it and done a, an incredible job um, across the landscape of uh, sports events and sports tourism. Uh, Matt, any particular story that you worked on or were involved with or storyline that uh, kind of resonated with you more than others this year? Yeah, we talked to and have mentioned it so far, but the the host city selection for the 2026 World Cup that will be coming in North America that was made this summer. Obviously, it was an intensely competitive race when all the, the U.S. cities that were trying to get bids and the ones that eventually were named by FIFA. And now the fact that they now have four years in which they're going to be trying to focus on making sure that those events go off without a hitch because those are financially uh, transformative events potentially for those cities. But there's also a lot of work that has to be done. A lot of the cities, each of them were able to have uh, be able to be in Qatar for the World Cup that is uh, about to be finishing up as we record this. And to, it's just to see the operation side of things. And that will be important because the 26 World Cup will be the biggest ever. And not just in terms of the number of cities involved, but the number of teams involved. So I think that was a very intense race. And to see all of those cities being able to uh, take part in the process and learning a lot about the process, I think was uh, pretty resonating for me, just obviously also on a personal level as a big soccer fan. And I think the other thing was really, you know, we mentioned it and it was our uh, big session at Teams 23 or Teams 22 in Oklahoma City, and that is the this was the 50th anniversary of Title IX, and we it was a topic that we discussed that we discussed throughout the year. But obviously, the pace of growth in women's sports, the WNBA and NWSL are more popular than ever. USA Soccer, women's soccer, sometimes has been outgrowing the the men's team in terms of attendance when they play friendlies across the country. But you also just see things. Things like Athletes Unlimited, which every every couple of months has new expansion plans. You now have not just Athletes Unlimited with a pro volleyball league, but there's going to be another pro volleyball league starting up in the United States. Things that two or three years ago, you could not have even imagined the, the amount of growth 
that is coming from women's sports. So I think that is a, that is a very, very big topic. And I think you notice just how important it was throughout the year. Yeah. Justin, we had you working on, I don't know, uh, hundreds of stories since you started with us this year on just about everything. Uh, sent you a few places as well. Anything of that mix uh, jump out at you or, or any story that resonated with you more than others uh, since you started? You know, there, there were so many options to go through here, uh, and, and I kind of struggled to pick one, to be honest. Uh, I, I think I, I the one that really resonated was the uh, two American cities, uh, one in um, Orange Beach, Gulf Shores, Alabama, and then Oklahoma City took on these uh, events that had been uh, canceled because of the war, you know, Russia's war in Ukraine. These events were supposed to be held in, in Russia in 2022. And it left the organizing committee scrambling to try to find a host. So for the U.S. Powerlifting Association, Charlie Lyons uh, steps in and, you know, he and, and his team are able to put together the 2022 IPL World Championship uh, that was supposed to take place in Russia down in Alabama. And Charlie is one of the nicest guys you'd ever want to talk to. He's very passionate about what he does and the amount of uh, of determination that he and his team showed to get that done. And then also um, Oklahoma City, River Sport OKC down there, they take on the, the 2022 um, Canoe Sprint Super Cup and the 2022 ICF Stand-Up Paddleboard World Cup on just months notice. And they put together this wonderful event. They honored the Ukrainian athletes that had come during the reception, make them feel like they're welcome and at home. That to me just kind of showed the the spirit of, of what America can be at its best when you roll up your sleeves and you you take on a challenge that you weren't ready for, maybe, um, but but it's the right thing to do so these athletes can still compete because it wasn't their fault that their event got moved. So that was one that I really enjoyed working on, and and it was one that um, I think can be an example to the rest of the sports world that you know we're all in this together, and and you know everybody should work to make sure everybody can compete. Yeah, I love that, Justin. And one of the things I love about those examples are those are mid-sized markets that are positioning themselves on the international stage doing what they do best. And um, I, I think that's one of the things that's terrific about those examples that, you know, places like Gulf Shores and Orange Beach and Oklahoma City are, are just top of mind, you know, for these international event organizers uh, based on their reputations. I'm going to stay in Oklahoma for mine as well and actually uh, go up to Tulsa. I had the chance to go out to the grand opening of USA BMX's headquarters, which was a project they were working on for a very long time, years and years. Um, and it really was a long-term play for the community in Tulsa to convince USA BMX to relocate their headquarters there. They have for years hosted their largest event over Thanksgiving weekend in Tulsa, so they were familiar with it. But the prospect of moving the entire operation and building a new headquarters building and arena uh, to me, it was very impressive. It was uh, we talk about it all the time at teams and and on the pages of sports travel, the value of long term relationships. And there's uh, another perfect example of one that uh, you know saw itself to fruition. And if you get the chance to be in Tulsa, th that facility, that arena, it's totally worth looking at. But uh, John David at USA BMX and Ray Hoyt at the time uh, in in Tulsa, you know, worked uh, for years and years on that project, and it was uh, it was cool just to see it come to light. And just the energy around that city um, and the excitement around that particular project, that was one that sticks out for me. Um, let's go kind of the other way, maybe some stories that flew under the radar in 2022 as an industry. Matt, your thoughts there as well. Uh, I mentioned how many stories Justin has written. You, of course, have <laughs> written just as much, if not more. Anything that you think uh, maybe flew under the radar is worth noting? 
I think that the recovery of the youth sports market uh, in the post-pandemic show, quote unquote, era is something that I think has surprised people to a degree. And I think uh, you'd notice that, you know, we hear from contacts throughout the sportsman industry on a daily basis. And it's almost a week does not go by without us hearing about a youth sports uh, club being acquired by a bigger sports event organizer or tournaments that are starting up for the first time. Facility plans that you would have thought may have been shelved just because of economic conditions are still going ahead. And I believe that's something that, whereas you can imagine in some ways, the pro sports leagues and collegiate sports leagues, the amount of money that is in pro and college sports, we all you know focus on that and national media focuses on that so much. But people may not realize that the youth sports market is the biggest sports market in the country, even bigger than the NFL in terms of financial financially. So for that to be able to come back as strong as it has with all the indicators showing that it's going to continue growing for 2023, I think that was something that maybe even the most experienced people in the sports event industry space were a little surprised by it. Yeah, I, I agree, Matt. I think it speaks also to those numbers we saw in in the research as well. Things are back. And as you mentioned, at the youth sports level, they're back as strong as, as anywhere else. Justin, any thoughts? Anything uh, jumped to mind that maybe was uh, under the radar this past year? You know, uh, Formula One is never under the radar, but in <laughs> Las Vegas, there's been a lot going on out here uh, locally that I don't think people around the country might realize, and I don't think a lot of the people in Las Vegas realize yet. The logistics of this uh, are going to be quite staggering. Um, you know, everything from they have to dig up and repave the entire 3.8 mile uh, course, which will be happening in the months leading up to the November event next year. How exactly are people going to get inside where the, the circuit's going to be, which includes many big hotels, thousands of workers every day trying to get in and out, and, and just the infrastructure that's going to be in place, the seating that's going up in front of the Bellagio fountains. Uh, how is that happening? There's so many things happening with this F1 race in Las Vegas that are going to, to be even more incredible, I think, than probably any other F1 race anywhere else. The logistics of this in Las Vegas is, is going to be something that comes to light more uh, as we get closer to, to next November. And uh, that's going to be a, a very big story locally here, at least. And for everyone coming in and out of Vegas before that race, uh, how are they going to make it work? Uh, so that's something that I'm kind of looking forward to uh, seeing in real time. I think Jason, we're both uh, have a we'll have a little bit of sports event FOMO, knowing that Justin Bean in Las Vegas will be able to uh, hopefully get a chance to experience that that event because I mean your thought the the setup being right uh, having a night a night race as well. I think that's going to be one of the standout events for 2023. Yeah, and I was going to say what will not be under the radar is when Justin submits his million dollar expense report <laughs> for the suite at the win uh, for that package deal. That is something we're going to have to talk about when that uh, when that comes across our uh, our email inbox, but uh, agreed. That's going to be an unbelievable event. And uh, it's a fair point there that even in Vegas, I don't know if uh, everyone quite realizes what's going to go into that event. I'll go under the radar and pick up on something Matt talked about before with uh, women's sports and just the pace and and growth that we saw at the at the top level, uh, particularly in basketball and and soccer with the WNBA and the uh, NWSL. Um, you know, record years in attendance and and viewership, and that's kind of at the high level, but specifically. 
uh, to me, a little bit under the radar, what's happening in Kansas City right now with women's soccer. I, I had the chance to go out and tour the uh, the new training venue for the Kansas City Current, which is the NWSL team. The owners of that team have really done a remarkable thing. They've built the right now the only standalone training venue for a women's soccer league uh, team, and they have just broken ground on what will become the first dedicated women's sports stadium uh, for their soccer team, an 11,000-seat stadium outside of Kansas City, which is just remarkable. So um, I think they're setting the pace as far as an ownership group of uh, some of the women's professional league teams and the what they've accomplished there, I think, uh, should be noticed a little bit more uh, across the landscape. So that's the one that I'll go with. We have touched on international sports, and I, I think we kind of need to, uh, as Justin alluded to earlier with uh, all the events that are coming to the U.S. in the years to come. But let's talk about international sports. Uh, Matt, what do you think the biggest for you, uh, biggest international sports news of this past year? It's kind of crazy to say this, but I don't think that the Olympic Winter Games in Beijing was the biggest. And I don't think the World Cup that is going on right now is the biggest. To me, the biggest international news of the year was the Russian athlete ban that uh, has been in place since February, since Russia invaded Ukraine. The IOC took a very fast stand, surprisingly fast to many observers, given that Russian athletes in the last couple of games, despite the country's widespread, widespread drug program, have been allowed to compete. So when the IOC made its very stringent protocol saying no events in Russia, Russian athletes should not be allowed to compete, I think it took some people by surprise. But I also think that now that the now that you're looking at 2023 as we turn the corner to next year, those Olympic qualifying events for Paris 2024 are right around the corner and they're coming up. And the IOC is trying to figure out how they can resolve this issue. And it seems to me, from my standpoint, that the IOC and some other people throughout the Olympic movement are trying to figure out a way that they can let Russian and Belarusian athletes compete while trying to keep Russia as a country in the penalty box. They're really trying to thread the needle there. And it's going to be very interesting to see how geopolitically they can possibly pull that off, especially when you have people like the Ukrainian government has been very clear that they don't think the IOC should let Russian athletes compete, even if it means there's no Russian athletes in the Olympics, which the IOC, I think they really would like to. The IOC is one of those organizations that very much likes to stay apolitical. They want to stick to sports, so to speak. But the Ukraine is going to put pressure on them to not stick to sports and to mm -hmm. take a stand on this issue. You also have uh, World Athletics with Sebastian Coe saying Russians should not be allowed to compete unless they get out of the Ukraine. So it's a very tight, very tense issue. And I think it's the biggest news internationally this year. And I think it's going to continue next year as well. Yeah, uh, agreed. I think we'll probably see that storyline continue beyond one Olympic cycle coming up as well. Um, doesn't seem to be any end in sight. Justin, what about you? Thinking internationally, anything come to mind? Yeah, I mean, I, I have to go with uh, Live Golf and what mm -hmm. they've done this year. The staggering amount of money that they paid these golfers to essentially turn their back on the PGA and, and go with this new rogue association. You know, the, the top five money winners in the PGA this year uh, won just under $50 million. The top five and live won over 90 million with Dustin Johnson making $35 million. That's, you know, NFL quarterback money. I mean, that, that's that's not money that golfers have ever even dreamed of making in a year. And he had a great year and it probably won't happen like that every year. But the bigger story to me is 
What does this mean for other sports? You know, what is Saudi Arabia going to do next? Are they going to try to create their own league in a different sport? Are they going to be able to poach players from whatever sport that is to come and take their their money? It's an interesting story, obviously. It's a little bit, to me, kind of sad because now not all all the top golfers aren't playing each other anymore. It's 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 fractured um, as a fan. But uh, but I understand, you know, there's a lot of money to be made and, and some guys made a choice. So going forward, um, it'll be interesting to see where golf goes from here. I know there's litigation and I don't think we're going to see the lawsuit play out for another year or so. So number one, how is this going to affect the, the now for golf? And number two, how is this going to affect not only golf, but other sports in the future? If, if Saudi Arabia and some of those other countries in the Middle East start throwing their money around, just like we saw Qatar when they essentially bought the World Cup this year. What else can be bought is is kind of uh, the storyline in my brain. Yeah, uh, agreed. Excellent points, both. I'm, for this one, I'm going to go kind of high level, sort of touching on, on some of what you guys have talked about as well, but just the globalization, if you will, of, of sports. How many sports organizations outside of the United States are looking to bring events here to the U.S.? I think we're going to see more of it, certainly leading up to Los Angeles with the Olympic and Paralympic Games in 28. We got a taste of it. Uh, I mentioned our Teams Europe event, you know, first time we brought our own event overseas. And the number of sports organizations that we were introduced to over there based in Europe and elsewhere who wanted to know what we're doing here in the U.S. and how they could get in front of destinations uh, large and small uh, in the United States, including some fairly large uh, sports organizations who are looking to introduce themselves to you know mid-sized markets, small markets here in the United States was uh, a little bit surprising to me, uh, to be honest with you, but uh, sort of encouraging as well. I think we're just going to see... Uh, more of that uh, as time goes on, uh, sports organizations realizing that they don't need to necessarily confine themselves uh, to the country where they are based uh, as it gets easier and easier to do business uh, overseas. Um, so I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see. We know there are a lot of uh, major events, as uh, Justin and Matt, both of you had mentioned before. So what more are we going to see uh, coming? I think we're going to see more. Let's maybe change the the topic here. Have a little fun. We've all three of us have had the uh, the wonderful opportunity to travel to a number of sporting events, uh, big and small, uh, between the group of us here. Uh, curious what your favorite event was that you actually attended in person in 2022. Matt, uh, you had the chance to get around uh, quite a bit this year. What what sticks out to you? Yeah, there were two events in particular in the first half of the year. One was the women's final four uh, for division one basketball going up to Minneapolis for that event. Obviously it was an event that was going to have a lot of attention on it because it was the first event since the NCAA tournament that was in San Antonio, where the NCAA had a lot of issues in terms of fairness and equity in terms of what the conditions were for women's basketball players compared to the men. So how that tournament was promoted throughout the area, how the, how the players were treated, how the event was treated just on a major event level being the the same time as the men's final four in new orleans and so that was interesting to watch and to observe and to see all of that i think on a personal level it was also interesting because the women's final four this year was won by south carolina and don staley who is really a transformative coach is one of the most outspoken one of the biggest leaders in terms of women's basketball throughout the country no matter what level you're on and it was interesting to see them do that the game cox because just on a personal level, uh, when Don Staley was hired more than a, about a, uh, more than a decade ago at South Carolina, I was actually down there working for the for the newspaper, running college sports coverage. So seeing how the, the state of that program when she was hired, they were fairly irrelevant. 
not just within the SEC, but within college basketball. And so now you have this powerhouse team that she has developed over the years. Uh, that was interesting for me to see. One other thing, obviously, also from a NCAA standpoint was the NCAA Beach Volleyball Championships that were held in Gulf Shores, Alabama and Orange Beach this year. And it was interesting because those are the championships that may not get the major media attention. The, the Alabama coast is a very nice destination, but it is on the smaller side in terms of destinations that you would think would host a national championship. And seeing the community really you know, come together and host that event was something that you don't see a whole lot. And we sometimes miss sometimes uh miss in terms of a coverage standpoint so to see the small destinations that treat those events like any like like a women's final four like a pga major like a major international event anything i think though that was that was something that was enjoyable for me to experience yeah terrific love that example justin uh, we got you out and about uh, a bit since you started with us uh, what event sticks out for you favorite one maybe that you went to yeah, uh, definitely the um, MLB All-Star Festivity uh, Week, All-Star Game, Home Run Derby, the whole thing um, out in Los Angeles. Just a just a great event. You know, Dodger Stadium, I'd never been there before. I had always heard, you know, it's one of the meccas of, of baseball. And uh, yeah, I mean, the first time I walked out into the stadium and kind of saw the backdrop, man, that was that was cool. So that I really enjoyed that. I got to see a great Home Run Derby with Juan Soto. And, uh, you know, a bunch of young guys hitting a lot of home runs. And it was kind of a coming out party for some of those guys. Um, the game was great. But, you know, honestly, the activations for the fans might have been my favorite part. You know, the convention center in L.A. took over, you know, they, they took over the whole thing. There was just so much cool stuff. And it was really great to see so many kids there. You know, people always say baseball is dying and, you know, the fan base is, is not growing with the young kids. There were a lot of kids there with their jerseys and hats on you know, taking in all the different things. And so that was really cool for me to see. And uh, they also had act activations on Santa Monica Pier and, and down on the on the beach. They had like a little baseball diamond on the sand where they were teaching kids the, the you know, the fundamentals of baseball. It was just a really cool event overall. And, um, and I'm really happy I, I got to experience it. It was my first uh, MLB All-Star game and, and definitely hopefully not my last one. Excellent. Well, Matt went collegiate. You went professional. I'm going to go kind of amateur. I got to go to Ames and Des Moines, Iowa in July. Was it hot and humid? Yes. Uh, but was it terrific? Yes. So I, I was there for the State Games of America, which is an incredible multi-sport uh, amateur event that was uh, largely held in Ames. And then that same weekend was the Dew Tour, which is you know, amateur and professional, but mostly professional uh, skateboarding taking place at the incredible skate park they've built in Des Moines. State Games of America was an eye-opener for me, just the volume of people coming in to compete there, how it took over that community. You know, They used every venue at Iowa State and across Ames. I also got to see competitive lightsaber for the first time in competition. I don't know if either of you have had the pleasure or if you a single are the person only one in our listening audience has had the pleasure. But uh, I am telling you, you, once you see that, you cannot stop seeing it. It is fascinating. And uh, we'll, I don't know if it'll take off, but uh, it was there on display in Ames. I've spent uh, an inordinate amount of time at that particular competition while I was there. And the Dew Tour was amazing too. One of the highlights for me actually was the adaptive uh, division at the Dew Tour. I saw a guy in the skateboard division uh, at the Dew Tour do a trick 
off a enormous box that was uh, holding a Toyota SUV. And he went from the top of the box into the bowl, a drop of, I don't know, 20, 30 feet. He, he didn't have any legs and he flipped that skateboard around and landed it. And it was maybe the coolest single thing I saw all year round at the Dew Tour. So uh, kudos to the greater Iowa community for those two events uh, of all the ones that I had a chance to go to. Those are actually the ones that, that stick out the most to me uh, just for how impressive they were uh, overall. So uh, we talked about this past year. Let's finish off here with a, a look ahead, uh, maybe a, a storyline or a story that you're watching uh, most closely in the year to come. Matt, why don't we start with you? What are you, what are you looking at closely here as we turn the calendar? I think it's something that we've heard event organizers and destinations talk about, but they're going to increase the chatter is climate change and event sustainability. Uh, I think event sustainability is going to be a gigantic thing and climate change is going to be something that even on the youth sports level, you have to figure out how are you going to be able to time your events and hold your events, especially in the summer if events are being held in these scorching temperatures on the national level. I think you've seen, uh, you know, IndyCar more than uh, recently has set out some very aggressive climate change platform and some goals that it hopes to be able to reach in the years to come, obviously, because of just what it is as a sport in terms of auto racing. I think you're going to see, you know, some of the pro leagues that have extensive travel, how can they try and limit that travel even more or to make it at very least more efficient, given the amount of time that they that these leagues have to, their players spending in the air going from site to site? I think also you take a look at on the international level, you have obviously that big news this month that the IOC made and saying that they're going to delay announcing where their 2030 Winter Olympics are because they want to have the Future Host Commission study climate change on a closer level and even raising the idea of having permanent winter game host rotation in the future, given the fact that the winter games have been in climates, notably Sochi, that are not winter sports climates and Beijing this past year. So I think that's going to be something that every event organizer is going to have to, on every level, is going to have to really start facing even more in 2023 and start planning either in the months to come or next year, make sure that they have a five-year plan ready. Yeah, well, we've got you embedded in Salt Lake City, so let's hope the IOC decides to bring that event there sooner <laughs> than later, which uh, certainly looks uh, possible. Uh, Justin, what about you? Uh, anything in particular you're looking out for in the year to come? Yeah, uh, you know, as a sports fan that watches a ton of sports uh, all the time, uh, I'm looking at uh, how are we going to be watching those sports uh, next year and, and into the future? Uh, you know, the NFL Sunday ticket is the main one. Um, it's it's the crown jewel of all rights deals, uh, and it is now going to be up for bid. It's currently up for bid for uh, 2023 and beyond. Apple TV had already started doing some uh, exclusive uh, Major League Baseball broadcasts last year that a lot of fans that didn't have Apple TV were not happy about because they could not watch them. And also they started doing some MLS soccer at the end of the year. Apple TV was supposed to be the one that was in, in the driver's seat, but now apparently the NFL is maybe asking as much as $3.5 billion a year to, to give the rights to the NFL Sunday ticket. It's a giant wide open race now between Apple, Disney, Amazon, Hulu, all of the heavy hitters. How are we going to watch the NFL next year? How are we going to watch other sports going forward as more people cut cable and, and go into the streaming world? That's what fascinates me. And I'm hoping that it is 
something that the consumer can afford because the Sunday ticket being three, $400 a year is just not a sustainable model. I'm looking for a la carte uh, options. Can I just buy the one team's games all year? Um, not that I would have bought the Broncos games this year anyway, <laughs> but uh, maybe they'll be better next year. Um, do I have to pay $400 for the whole league or can I just watch one team? Um, is are there tiers? This is fascinating to me, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep my eye on it, and uh, and hopefully it's something that we all um, you know can can get a good deal for the consumers. Is, to me, that's the most important thing. Yeah, and as a fellow Broncos fan based in Denver, I also don't know if I am ready to pay that kind of money to watch that particular team this year. But uh, that's a whole other podcast episode, I think, from here. Yeah, the, the one I'm watching, we we haven't really talked about esports, which I feel we, we should and need to. Uh, we continue to see growth in in-person events. We continue to see development of esports-specific venues. In fact, this coming year, we'll see uh, the breaking of ground in Toronto on an incredible new venue that Populous is building there for with overactive media, um, a 7,000-seat arena and attached hotel. So I'm very interested to see where the specific venues go from here. Will we see some new projects come online, uh, more cities willing to invest? And what's going to happen with the uh, with the in-person experience? Uh, it's no secret that some of the largest esports organizations right now are still seeing some financial challenges uh, moving forward. But uh, you know, how much are they going to continue to invest in those live events? Um, we know it's coming. We know it's still a viable market. But how much growth are we going to see there? I'm uh, expecting that we will see quite a bit. But also, it's one that we're watching closely. These are themes we're going to be talking about at our own esports travel summit, uh, which will be in Toronto in July uh, as well. So I'm uh, I've got my eye out uh, as far as a major storyline of uh, where we see the in person esports uh, experience. You know, when we have this conversation a year from now. So we've gone on for a bit, but let's finish here because this will be kind of fun, especially a year from now when we look back at it. So let's finish with one maybe big or bold, brave or silly prediction for the coming year. Matt, uh, give us one big prediction for 2023 in the sports world. I'll, I'll circle back to my biggest takeaway of this year and look ahead. I do not think Power 5 conference realignment is over on the collegiate landscape by any stretch. All of these commissioners, you don't hear any commissioner say, we're done. Look, we're, we're set with our teams. That to me tells me that they're still looking, they're still watching, they're ready to swoop in and try and get a team from a different Power Five conference like the Big Ten did this year, or they're going to look and try and find an attractive group of five to bring it to their league. And not just for all sports, I think one of the biggest properties out there in terms of collegiate realignment is Gonzaga because of its men's basketball powerhouse program. Gonzaga is very good in several sports as well as men's basketball, but that is the driver. College football has been the driver between Power 5 realignment, but is there a league such as the Big 12 or even the Pac-10, Pac-12, however you may want to call it now, that says we'll bring in Gonzaga as a non-football member? And that would be something that is a little bit of a stretch for some of those Power 5s, but Gonzaga might be the program that's worth it. And so that's where I think you're going to see something in the next 12 months the college realignment is not done where it will, which schools it would be. Gonzaga clearly is the most pro uh, valuable property out there right now, but I don't, I think you're going to see something that uh, right now we don't couldn't possibly conceive of happening, happen in the next 12 months. Excellent. Interesting. Justin, what do you think? Give us a prediction for the coming year. Mine's going to be very specific. And I, when I went to uh, Milwaukee for my press trip two months ago, and I, I met with all of the, wonderful people at Sports Milwaukee, shout out to them. Uh, I was very clear to them 
that I would return to Milwaukee in June when my Denver Nuggets beat the Milwaukee Bucks to win the NBA championship. <laughs> the Nuggets have been on the precipice for many years. They've been plagued by injuries. Everyone is now healthy. There are no more excuses. Two-time MVP will also get his hands on an NBA Finals MVP, and the Denver Nuggets are going to win the NBA Finals. It is finally their time. Wow. Love it. Big and bold. I'm going to stay in Colorado, which will not surprise either of the two of you or possibly uh, listeners to the Sports Travel Podcast, where it has come up in the past that I am an alum at the University of Colorado in Boulder, which has been absolutely irrelevant in college football for uh, uh, longer than I care to admit, good 20 plus years now. And as we know, they just went out and made a bold move with their new head coach, Deion Sanders. So my prediction is the Buffs turnaround from 1-11 this year to um, champions of the Pac-12, a spot in the CFP championship, an incredible run with their first national title since 1990, after which Dion moves over to uh, Alabama because uh, Nick Saban's going to be ready to retire. So there's my, uh, I'm going big and bold this year, or maybe they'll win more than one game. That would be my safer prediction. My uh, my prediction's not nearly as crazy now after that. Got to got to end it interesting for those who have stuck around uh, with us. Uh, got to give them a little golden coin at the end of the podcast. So thanks to everyone who have uh, made it through uh, this recording. Thank you, Matt and Justin, honestly, for an absolutely incredible year at, at Sports Travel. From a content end, uh, this is by far our strongest year we've ever had. As I said at the outset, we've seen it on at sportstravelmagazine.com. We have seen it uh, at our live events, and it really is a testament to the two of you and the work that both of you have put in uh, to make our products as strong as they are. So thank you for your time. Thank you for your expertise, uh, for your willingness to be out and about in all of the many communities that we mentioned during this recording. Uh, Very excited about the year ahead. And hopefully when we have this conversation a year from now, all our predictions will have come true. Um, especially mine, uh, but all of yours as well. Anyway, Matt, Justin, thank you so much, uh, as always, for your time and attention. And we will look forward to seeing what comes in the year ahead. Thanks, guys. Thank you. This has been another edition of the Sports Travel Podcast. Thanks for listening. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast on all your favorite platforms, including iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Past episodes are also available at sportstravelmagazine.com, which features regularly updated breaking news and in-depth features on stories related to the sports events industry. Be sure to visit us daily at sportstravelmagazine.com, at Sports Travel on Twitter and Instagram, and at Sports Travel Magazine on Facebook and LinkedIn. Until then, this is Jason Gewurz for Sports Travel, and thanks for listening.